of life. The reality is that you and I cannot escape tragedies. They're everywhere. <clears throat> Just this week, I picked up the Wall Street Journal and read an article about a van full of college athletes hit by a truck driven by a 13-year-old boy. Seven people in the van died. Tragedy. Tragedy in the Ukraine. I mean, when you see what is happening to people, that they're being made refugees from their country, that they are swarming into Poland with no place to live. There's tragedies everywhere. There's a tragedy that a dictator can do that to people, can decide he wants their, their land, their life. But the truth is, tragedies happen. And they happen to all of us. They may happen um, in a divorce. They may happen in a death. They may happen in a devastating loss of income. They may happen in many ways. All of you have had a tragedy in your life in some way or other. So you can just plug yours in. <clears throat> so today, the question to Jesus is, are those who suffer getting what they deserve? Now, the first century and prior centuries in Judaism, the response would have been, absolutely. You know, God's hot smiles on you when you are doing what, you know, if you're, if you're doing well, you're about to get graces. If you're not, you've done something wrong. Think about Job has everything in the world, and his friends come to him and say, well, how did you offend God that you've lost everything? So the people are coming to Jesus with really a first century mentality. They probably expect a yes answer. And instead, Jesus speaks to them and says, now, do you think they were any worse than you are? That's food for God. Do you think that those who were killed when the tower fell were less faithful than you are? And while they are expecting, maybe, <laughs> yes, answer, Jesus looks at them and he says, unless you repent, you will die. Okay, I'll tell you, that's not real pastoral. You know, those are tough words. That's not what they're expecting to hear. Unless you repent, you're going to die. Well, okay, what does that have to do with these crises in the morning taking place? And Jesus, in this chapter of John, now, we like the gentle, meek, and mild Jesus, the one that gathers the little children in, the one that touches people and heals them, the one that provides food when there isn't any, the one, you know, that's the one we all really like to hear about, right? But in this chapter of Luke, John, I mean, um, Jesus is not being a pastor to people. He is being a prophet 
to the people. He is speaking to the people, the Jewish nation, who had fallen away from God, who was not carrying on the covenant relationship that they were supposed to. He is speaking to those people, just as Isaiah spoke to them, just as Jeremiah spoke to them, just as all the other prophets spoke to them. Jesus is speaking prophetic words. Unless you do this, unless you change your lifestyle, unless you are willing to open your heart and see that God is doing a new thing in your midst, unless you recognize Jesus as the Son of God, he is saying, you've got to change your life. You've got to open your heart, open your mind to the fact that God is doing something new. Something new. And they're not really happy about that. So, remember last week, and this is an interesting thing with whoever does the questioning. So last week we were further ahead in Luke. Now we just been back. And as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, so why are we doing this? Why are we going backwards? But we do. But remember last week, um, Jesus says to them, Jerusalem, the killer of the prophets, Jerusalem, how I long to come bring you in and cover you with my pulling you in under the wings of my arms and save And we are really seeing the same thing again in this passage. Jesus is saying, I want you to open your hearts. I want you to see what is happening. I want you to experience the presence of God in your midst right now and be willing to change. So, he moves on and he tells a parable. A parable about a vineyard. And in this vineyard, there is a fig tree. Now, that does sound a bit unusual, but fig trees were very common in um, wine vineyards because they had a deep rooting system, and if they were flourishing, the vineyard would flourish. It was a sign the soil was receptive to what they were doing. And so they often had fig trees in them. But they come to this fig tree, and it is not thriving. It is not doing well. Not bearing any fruit. And so they the speaker tells the gardener to cut it down. To cut it down. Let's get rid of that tree. That's not doing any good. And the gardener for the tree and he says well let's give it one more year one more chance to come around let me dig into this soil and spread some manure around and let's give it another chance now interpreters will say there's two ways of looking at the parable Jesus could easily be the owner of the vineyard or he could be the gardener of the vineyard. Both you can work out um, equally well. But the point is, one more chance. This tree is getting one more chance. Now I wonder, 
If the next year the tree wasn't doing well, the gardener would again say, can I get one more chance? One more chance? Well, we don't know about that. So we're hearing this story. Now remember that the Jewish nation considered themselves the vineyard of the Lord. They were the Lord's planting. But something is not happening here. They are not bearing fruit in the appropriate way. So, and neither are the leaders in Jerusalem. So the Jewish people in Jerusalem are not bearing fruit. And Jesus is calling them to recognize that they're not bearing fruit. That their lives are not lived faithfully. And he's calling them to see that he is coming to redeem them. But I don't know if you've ever heard news from people and you don't like it, so you're just not going to listen. Um, their hearts are hardened. They're not listening. Jesus wants them to know that the kingdom of God has come. And he says, it's the time for repentance. Unless you repent, you're going to do what? Perish. Oh, man. That sounds great. Okay, so let's look at repentance a minute. When I repent of a sin, or when you repent of a sin, you're actually saying, I want to turn around from that sin, turn my back on it, and you ask God's forgiveness. I read a very interesting um, commentary this week, and it said, when we repent of something, maybe we should be flipping the idea around, and instead of dwelling on our sin, look at the face of Jesus as we can Look into Jesus' eyes and see the forgiveness and the love and the acceptance of there. Not that we're not repenting of the sin, but that we're not getting stuck on the sin, that we are looking in to the grace of God. So instead of trying to make ourselves acceptable to God, God, um, we're just wanting to bask in his grace. And I read this. Repentance is a response to the goodness God has done, not a requirement to merit God's goodness. So it's a response. It's a response. We repent because of what God has done. And when we repent and turn our eyes toward him, we see the majesty and the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God. So, so what are we hear in this passage this morning? It's a good Latin passage. It began with tragedies, and we need to remember you and I every day. Life is short. We don't know what's going to happen. Life is short, life is precious, and life is sacred. So, as we remember that, we ask, or might ask, what are my priorities? What are my priorities this day? 
or are we just getting along? You know, we're doing okay, but we're just getting along. Or are we being the people that God has called us to be in Central Florida? Are we being the people that God has called us to be in Good Shepherd at this point in time? Are we listening? Are our hearts open to hear and experience new things, different things? To be willing to change? To understand that God is at work? So, bottom line is, are we bearing fruit where we're planted? I don't know. What do you want to do? How do you want to live? Life's full of challenges. It's full of tragedy. It's full of triumphs. It's full of wonderful things. It's full of blessings. It's full of choices. And all of these factor into how we live our life. Because the reality is, much as we hate to admit it, one day we are going to die. Everybody aware of that? One day we are going to die. And this passage reminds us of it. One day we are going to meet Jesus face to face. But the parable reminds us it's never too late to get prepared. It's never too late. If we're not bearing fruit, maybe we need a little more fertilizer in our lives. Maybe we need a little more prayer. Maybe we need a little bit of quiet time. Maybe we need some reconciliation with people. But we only have one life. We only have this life at this time to live and to touch other people with the grace of God. One of the challenges that I read, and I may have mentioned this in the chapel, is that can we look at one another, or maybe not so much one another in here because we know each other so well, but one another in the world and see the face of Jesus in that person? Can we treat them like a child of God? We only have one life, one opportunity to do that. Mary Oliver, anybody heard of her? She was an American poet. <clears throat> she won a Pulitzer Prize in the National Book Award. And she died in 2019. She wrote a poem called The Summer Day. And these are the last three lines of that poem. Doesn't everything die at last? And too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What do we want to do? What do we want to do as individuals? And what do we want to do as people of God? May touch our hearts and open our minds. We want to see great things happen. 